0: My name is Ian Boswell. I was a world tour professional cyclist for seven years. Skyrider in the USA is a fighter. Well, Ian Boswell is turning up the cranks. I'm also the host of this fine podcast, Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo breakfast with boz podcast dives into the world of endurance sports whether it's cycling multi-sport running anything that inspires us to get out and move we cover right here on breakfast with boz let's get cooking on breakfast with boz Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a little context as to what you're about to hear. In early April, I went out to Monterey, California for the Sea Otter Classic. After attending just six months ago for the first time, I decided that it would be wise and fun this year to walk around with a microphone and record the conversations that I was having with people, be it planned or spontaneous. So, we've decided to also put this podcast into video form, which is going to be live on May 12th over at Wahoo's YouTube channel. That is going to be called Breakfast with Boz in Real Life. And I guess this podcast as well will be a little bit of that Breakfast with Boz in Real Life. Me walking around the Seattle Classic speaking to friends, to people I'm interested in hearing from, riding bikes with kids, a little bit of everything, so... Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of Breakfast with Boz in real life, walking around the Seattle Classic in beautiful Monterey, California. What's up, Alex? You've been racing on the road over in Europe, and now you're racing mountain bikes.
1: Yeah, it's the same thing, right? Same, same? Just pedal. It's just pedal. pedal. Just turn. Lean in. and Lean in. Um, hope for both. And what's the uh, expectation today? Uh, it's a good question, Ian. Don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know. Come I back think, safe. I think there's like five riders out there that no, you're go have a reasonable expectations, and then everybody else is just a huge question mark. You know, like nobody knows what's going on out there.
0: What do you think the chaos of this is compared to? I mean, you did Kopi Bartley, right?
1: I did yeah. Uh, Kopi was, yeah. Road racing is weird. Like there's so many variables that you forget about. Like, you've forgotten already. I forgot. (laughs) You get out there and you're in the Peloton and you're like, it's so loud. Yeah, It's so loud. And there's just like things that happen all around you. And if you like, try and react to half of them, you'll just have an aneurysm. And you just have to learn to ignore everything. So you're not going
0: to be the one shouting today in the Peloton or in the group telling people to get out of the way?
1: I wasn't shouting in copia, I was just, like, quietly whimpering at the back. Although I've
0: always wondered, you actually can answer this question, what's the etiquette in mountain biking? I did a mountain bike race when I was a kid, and I got reprimanded for, like, yelling at someone because I wanted to pass him on a single track.
1: I mean, at the end of the day, it's racing, you know? Like, so you can yell. Like, it, you can do whatever you want.
2: <laughs> <laughs> True, you can do whatever <laughs> you, know? you want.
1: Like, it's it's racing. Like, okay, yeah, you got to come back and look everybody in the eye after, but... If you're okay with being a, an asshole, you can be an asshole, I guess. you know It's racing, you know? It is. So, we'll, we'll see how it goes. You know, It'll be sweet when uh, Ashton Lambie does his four minutes of uh, hero power and is the first one into the single track today.
0: Well, Alex Howes predicted that Ashton Lambie would be the first one into the single track, and to be fair, Ashton is a bit of a monster on the gravel bike, but he's also the individual Pursuit World champ and world record holder. I spoke to Ashton about his unconventional approach to cycling. I'm very curious about your, you've just approached cycling so differently than most people, you know, like Pete and I have like, we've raced together since we were kids and Alex and yeah. we've come in through this different path, but you've also like crushed it. Whether it's stuff on the track, gravel racing, now yeah. mountain biking yeah I mean how what's what's the journey uh like how did I get here well I mean how'd you get here but also where are you where are you going
3: I mean I feel like I've kind of raced gravel most of my life and done ultra distance I think the overarching theme is kind of picking like okay this is some new discipline of cycling I'm excited about what's what's the pinnacle? Like, what's the peak? What's yeah. the Mount Everest of this discipline? And yeah. then, like, picking that and then doing it. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, some of it is, like, finding those goals, and I've always, like, had a, a good idea of finding those kind of weird goals like that. Like, when I was in college, I started doing randoneering. I don't know if you're familiar. That's with
0: like it. a mountain hiking... Thing? That's
3: where the word originates, yeah. Okay. Uh, but it's, like... Oh, Audax.
0: Audax, and Brevets, Okay. Like that whole discipline. Um, this is like the Trans Alp. Don't they have like a Randonet in Europe? Yeah, it ones? is. It's like really the big. It's, yeah.
3: yeah. Par- Paris Brese Paris. Yes. Okay, okay. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that was one where I kind of like, I I, got, I found the discipline, and I was like, all right, longest dis- longest event I can do is twelve hundred k. I want to do a twelve hundred k.
0: But how do you go from? getting into cycling doing 1200k and then holding the world record for 4k yeah 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 it's like polar opposite there's no middle no middle ground
3: well like like you said I do a lot of gym and I've always been like a fairly stocky dude um so I would like do well in those gravel races and kind of like look around and be like oh I'm not built like you or Pete or Adam and I was like "Ah, I wonder if there's something else I might be a little better at and I was living in Kansas at the time and started racing like did one race on the grass track there and did really well like you know First record, one race. Um, and then I was like, oh, this is fun. I like like I'm alright at it. And then, you know, it kinda escalated that after that. Uh, won my first national championship in 2017. Um, and then once you get on the UCI, like yeah, I mean you know series, yeah. you get on the series and it's like you're on this merry-go-round, you you you're in the series because you have points, because you've done the series, like once you get on it it's really easy. In, yeah. yeah so yeah did that for three years um didn't make it to the olympics for various reasons yeah individual pursuit isn't in an olympic a event yeah um so yeah i mean world record and world championship was like that was kind of the, the peak of what i could do and is
0: there like a desire to keep that record? so he's a world record holder on the track a monster on the gravel side. bike but there're still some cycling disciplines that Ashton Lambie has yet to sample. Tomorrow you doing a mountain bike race. Tomorrow I'm doing a mountain bike race. How do you feel about that? This is my first mountain bike race. Really? Ever?
3: Yeah. Are you excited? I am excited. I'm excited. I went road with uh with Pete today.
0: Yeah. Uh, he gave you some pointers?
3: He gave me some I mean mostly he just dropped me and like I tried yeah. really hard to <laughs> yeah. catch up and yeah. it was honest I, don't, I I I think that's good training for everybody to ride yeah. with people that are faster than oh, you. Oh yeah. But, like, man, being able to follow him or, like, we caught up with Ted and uh, housing and uh, Alex and yeah. Lachlan for a little bit. Um, and just being able to, like, ride behind those guys and see how they move and, like, what line they take, you know, yeah. how they're riding. Um, I spent five days in Bentonville with my partner, Christina, like, riding. doing the same thing. Yeah, dude. Like, she's got way more of mountain bike experience than I yeah. do, and I was like... That's a good way to get better mountain biking man yeah, so
0: yeah I, you gotta practice
3: yeah you gotta practice and like yeah. seeing other people do it you know I think that's not at all useful in track like
0: yeah cause it's so it's so
3: yeah. just like on the it's gas it's calculated yeah. yeah and if you get dropped it's like well if I take my line a little bit better I'm not gonna catch this yeah. wheel like I'm just absolutely practical. Yeah. so it's fun to be able to do that it's, it's fun to like learn new stuff try new things <laughs> like,
0: experiment experiment yeah, yeah trial and error it's like
3: I don't necessarily know what the next, or like if there is going to be a next, like huge, huge goal I go for, but what I'm doing now is super
0: fun and I'm excited about it. And this. While Ashton Lambie might have an unconventional approach to cycling, he can owe a lot of that possibility to pro rider Lachlan Morton, who has redefined what it means to be a pro rider. So while out at Sea Otter, I spoke to EF education easy post rider Lachlan Morton about how he has redefined what it means to be a professional cyclist in 2022. Lachlan, how's it going? I'm good, man. I'm good. You have been doing a lot of... You've taken the most unique approach to cycling, I think, of anyone currently who's doing this as a profession. And I know we spoke... I think the last time we spoke in person was at the top of... You remember this? Mount Gibraltar. Gibraltar. And we, we finished the stage of Tour of California and you said something that really stuck out to me. You said, I'm doing everything I'm willing to do and this is the level I'm at. Yeah. And it just meant like, I don't, I don't, I can't live Can like commit these. Commit more. Yeah. I can't like, go do more altitude camps or, you know, diet more, Nazi family.
4: Yeah. yeah. I and mean, it, I think we both know what like, it entails to be at the top level. Yeah. Um, and, I was happy to go there for like a period of my life Um, but then I don't know you kind of get to a point you realise that like you need to make some changes for yourself Yeah. Um, and then I also reassessed like the impact I could have within cycling and realised that that wasn't from coming 20th to California (laughs) you know I could probably use like my abilities elsewhere and like hopefully have a bigger impact on like the cycling community, but also just generally be happier.
0: Well, and that's the crazy thing is you're still doing this and you're still on a world tour team, but like the impact you have now, whether it was, you know, what you did at the tour last year, or just recently riding to Ukraine. I mean, it's crazy to think about, but the impact of that is way bigger than you would have ever as actually just being a selfish rider doing your thing. Has that become like, is that... I mean, how much more rewarding is that than finishing 20th Tour California?
4: <laughs> yeah, I think now I'm at, like, a really nice spot. Um, like, personally, I get a lot out of the, the racing I do, but everything else I do on the side. Um, and also, like, I've lived, like... I've been a professional for, like, 10 years, and it's been a very selfish pursuit. <laughs> um, and I feel like I've gotten so much out of bikes that like I want to share that with as many people as I can yeah so yeah I think um, I'm at a point now where I want to like still race and still be competitive because like I need need that it's still fun to go fast it's still fun to go fast and I think I'm kidding myself if I think like that's gone yeah but wherever I can I want to try and um, have a broader impact in in races you know And, and and in uh other pursuits like outside of racing because like i've won races before and like that's rewarding but it's a very like um
0: it's fickle it's limited it's, right it's
4: fleeting as well yeah like, and oh, like your, you do it again your best yeah. result is like it's your best friend for a month and then it's like i don't know a nice thing to like further your career for another month and then in the third month it's like you start looking back at that person and you're like oh man how do i get back
0: there and then, like a year later, your best results like your worst enemy, right? <laughs> well, it's like a constant chase, and I think one thing that I've realized over the last two years is how big cycling is, and like what it means to be a cyclist. I think like we both came up through this era of like and just like path of professional racing and this pursuit of it. That like cycling is this, yeah. And you and you fail to realize you come to an event like this, and there's people on mountain bikes, downhill bikes, there's kids, there's people who have no, they have no desire to race. And like for a while it took me like time to comprehend like, oh, some people don't care to race. And for me, like that was all about getting better and faster. And you realize slowly that like, there are all sorts of people riding bikes for all different reasons. But by what you're doing, it's like, it's inspiring people to ride their bike, which I think is like the most impactful thing you can have as, as an athlete or as a person is to like provide a positive outlet for people
4: yeah i think like in my opinion the the role of like a professional athlete should be to inspire people to like participate right to get involved in whatever your said sport is um so i'm not sure like i mean there's plenty of people who watch the tour de france and get inspired by that uh, but there's plenty of people who watch it and just have absolutely no connection with it
0: well you've got a you've got a race here in a bit yeah Um, and then you're back over to europe are there any any plans for anything else this year do these ideas of you know the tour project right into ukraine do these just pop up and you're just
4: yeah ready to go yeah yeah and some of them are like longer term but some of them are just quick um and i think between the lifetime series and another few events I have outside of racing it's going to be like busy
0: yeah
4: I'm lucky in that like I have a whole bunch of people around me who can enable these like different ideas to come to life Um,
0: I count three cameras
4: at the moment (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) four or
0: four a fourth camera just popped up yeah
4: but no it's interesting like you think of like a world tour team and you know how many resources there are yeah and um, generally they're all like focused at making us go faster so it's fun like To use those resources to like put together the ride to Ukraine. Yeah. And you find everyone, like, we have so much, so many amazing people to like make these things happen that I feel lucky that I'm the person who gets to kind of like throw the ideas out there and do the rides, you know? Um, Make it happen.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, there's some nervous faces around people saying, like, hey, Lachlan, we gotta go. go (laughs) (laughs) We gotta go. I'm gonna go race. Yeah. Good luck today, man. Thanks, (laughs) mate. When Lachlan's career was at a crossroads a few years back, and he was possibly about to leave the sport, he went back to the basics and did a huge ride across the Australian outback. From Port Macquarie to Uluru, over 2,000 kilometers in 12 days. His brother Angus had previously ridden at the continental level with the Drapak Porsche cycling team, but left the sport behind in 2010, or so he thought. Lachlan couldn't have gone down the path he has without his brother Angus.
5: My name is Angus Morton. I uh, am a director, film project, director, projector. <laughs> well, and Angus, um,
0: we spoke to your brother this morning, yeah. and who is Lachlan, if people didn't know that. Um, but I feel like you've played a big part in what Lachlan has become today. You both grew up racing bikes together, and you know Lachlan and I spoke about how we got into the sport, and it was this sport very focused on this professional side of being as fast and as fit as you could and being largely selfish. And, you know, before your brother kind of has gone down this path that he has gone down, you started doing more kind of adventure riding. You did this the thereabout series. Um,
5: where does cycling fit in your life today? That's a good question. Yeah, I think exactly like we so, I guess we only knew one side of cyc- like of, of the sport. We sort of thought it was very much one thing. Um, and I left the sport completely and and didn't touch my bike for years because I was like, if that's all it is, I'm not necessarily interested in it. And then then Lockie and I kind of had this ride uh, together that was just sort of, I guess, getting back to doing it however we kind of wanted to. And anyway, so now, like as a result of that ride, um, for me, the bike is very much, I guess, like an expression of uh, of like the human condition. I think sport is, I mean, it's an overused term, but sport is very much an allegory for life. You can find that in sport, I feel. Uh, and so um, for me now, it's very much about exploring like what it means to be a human being. And, and then by extension of that, like exploring and understanding the world. And do you feel like it's become more accepted and
0: more possible for people to do the sport of cycling like your brother is doing where it is, it is an expression and you probably see the happiness that he has now in his life versus the happiness he had or the lack of happiness when he was just trying to pursue this. I'm a world tour professional.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, to go back again, like when, if you see sport as, as, um, like a rigid, Structure and and within which you have to fit, um, that's not good for anybody. You know, my I'm of the opinion that sport should be something that moves society forward, that makes the world a better place. And you know, if people are having to change who they are fundamentally in order to fit within a system that they think they need to exist in, like that's not adhering to that um, to that idea, right? And so the more people that can understand like hang on no sport doesn't belong to anyone you know riding a bike doesn't belong to anyone it can you can make it your own and do it however you want to do it by what people like lockie are doing i think it gives people the confidence to do that cuz it is like i remember as an athlete like not having the confidence to say i don't like this i don't like the way that this is you know i liked it better when i was a kid riding around my house on on a bike with a 26-inch front wheel and a 20-inch rear wheel. Like, that's what it was. That was fun to me. and So the, the that's sort of becoming mainstream, I guess, um, is, I think, only a good thing because people who have seen the sport as, as just this racing or very performance-driven thing and have shied away from it for that reason and are now coming to it and being like, oh, yeah, actually, do you know what? I can ride the bike kind yeah. of in any way I want and be that you know part of it is racing and then part of it's you know touring or part of it's just commuting
0: yeah well i mean i have a lot of respect for both you and your brother and what you've done and what you've been able to share with people about what cycling is and it doesn't i mean even from the first thereabouts when like you're not wearing traditional cycling clothes and it's i mean it's it starts with that doesn't it where people don't enter the sport because they see oh i don't have those clothes i don't look like this i don't look like that and it's like I mean, when you're a kid on a bike, you don't care. You have the bike that you 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 know, that you have, have in the garage and you have, like, the helmet that you have and it doesn't matter. But slowly over time, kind of the higher up you get in the sport, the more you feel like, oh, I don't belong because I don't have this or that. And I think the beauty of any sport, and especially with cycling, is, like, if you have a bike, just go ride. And it doesn't really exactly.
5: matter. Yeah, exactly right. And it's funny to think, like, you know, I, I spent so many... And you you're, would be the same. You spend so much time thinking about the sport and, you know, we all care about it. And you're like, maybe if the format of the racing changed or maybe if teams gave more access or, you know, like maybe that would help open the sport up. And then you realise, like, all you had to do is just wear a T-shirt, <laughs> you know. And all of a sudden all these people are like, oh, I can do that. I get it now. And it's, I think that's, like, emblematic of just simplify it. Yeah. You know, this thing doesn't have to be overthought just go and ride
0: yeah i mean that's like i think the biggest piece of advice for anyone is just go ride your bike and like don't be discouraged or intimidated by what you have or what you don't have like step one is just getting out and riding and i think you know even if someone wants to get better like the biggest improvement you can make is just riding your bike and right you know like taking that time and distractions of all these you know just all these distractions of you know equipment and this and that and just going and riding and that's where all the joy is going to come from
5: exactly right and i think like it's also really easy to fall into this position of like oh look at those races over there with their power meters like ugh, or and then vice versa like you know look at that bike tour over there like they've got no idea look at them they're like they look ridiculous sort of thing yeah and you know i feel like that's a big part of it too is like you know what like there are elements of the performance side of sport that I absolutely love, you know, like data and things like that. Like, there are elements of that that I find fascinating. And and I don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to race but my bike. But you have respect for it. But I have respect yeah. for it. And, and that's sort of the point I'm trying to make, right, is that if if you don't, I guess if you open your mind a little bit and you're like, you know what, that's their thing and that's fine, then then there'll be a crossover and there, there, there will be a point where both of, of you, because you're, you know, two wheels and a chain, both of you will find like a common ground and I think that can only help grow the sport but also I think like develop the sport right again going back to that like it should be something that moves society forward
0: if I was going to try to jam all of the audio that I recorded while out in California into this podcast we would be here all day we would have a Lord of the Rings trilogy of podcasts so what I really wanted to do was try to share with you and reflect on the characters that you meet at these events so now we're about to hear from a selection of them coming up we have the Gandalf of gravel the legend the X pro the commentator but first the photographer Dominique Powers how are you how are you doing
6: I am doing so swell it's been a chaotic adventure which I think is the best way to sum up sea otter um, I've been between meetings and making friends and shooting the kickoff of the Lifetime Grand Prix yesterday, which was just so incredible to see old friends and new friends get out and do what they love to do. You know, being able to shoot them on course was really special, but, you know, the moments before and after the race are, you know, really where you get to connect with the athletes. That was just, it's amazing. Um, I really like to focus on the interpersonal relationships with the athletes and getting to know them, you know, not just being another camera in their face so building up that trust and that relationship so you can capture their vulnerable moments in a really authentic and special way is I would say more of the the focus you know those those portraits showing who they are
0: and I'd mentioned your project last year, and I am spacing on the name of it. But the photos have be- became very like iconic of this yeah. white canvas backdrop of all different women cyclists. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
6: Yes, it was a series called "The Leaders of Gravel." The leaders it of gravel. It was hosted yes. on the Radivist and it was shot over the course of a three-week road trip around the country. And I found 15 women in gravel cycling, you know, whether they were racers, women putting on events, women who are advocates for the sport, and. It it was, you know, really one of the best months of my life because I got to deep dive into the sport that I'm also getting into as a cyclist and get to know them in such a personal way and give them space for, you know, their thoughts on the sport and where it's going and how it's growing because it's so new, there's so much potential and, you know, everyone who partakes in it can really shape it to be what they want
7: it to be. Today I got to say one to go, one to go, one, 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 one lock to yeah. go, which is like probably the most iconic thing that yeah. any announcer has ever said. But I also, when I get up there, I just black out. Like I could think that I have the best phrases in the world that I've borrowed from anyone. I have nothing in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just, just on talking. autopilot.
0: The racer turned commentator Ellen Noble.
7: Right now with like the level of talking that we're doing, it's not bad. But when I was announcing Cyclocross Worlds, I needed water. I needed like... My voice was really, really, really hoarse for like days afterwards because we're talking so much and it's so animated and there's so much to report on that it definitely actually like will wear on your vocal cords. Yeah, it can definitely vary from event to event, um, but there's always going to be at least a little bit of research happening. Uh, You know, you want to know a bit about the venue, some facts about the event and where we are locally and obviously any riders that you can prepare to know about tomorrow I'll be reporting on the Lifetime Grand Prix first stop, so here at the Fuego 80K, and, um, yeah, doing a bit of research on the riders, but I also know pretty much all of them personally, so it's not all that hard to research
3: that kind.
0: All right, Robin Hood, <laughs> you're still shaking.
3: Yeah, dude, that was really, really hard.
0: The X pro and my former teammate, Robin Hood, Rob Britton. Well, and this is your first race as a non-road professional, how is it? <laughs> yeah, retirement's hard, dude.
3: <laughs> you know, yeah, no, it was, it was really good. I mean, I was really nervous um, about the start. Uh, just, like, obviously making that first single trap is really important.
0: You guys came flying through here.
3: Yeah, the car didn't quite uh, realize we were going to go fast at the start, I think. Not quite used to that uh, zippy yeah. start, so it was a bit chaotic. But, um, yeah, I kind of put a lot of eggs in that basket and then just tried to do what I could. I've been watching the guys race over in Europe, and I haven't missed it at all. Like, this is just, like, like as uncomfortable as what it was today, it's just it's fun. Like, I know so many people, like, obviously yourself and everybody. It's just, like, it's really nice kind of coming back and being a part of, like, this, like, North American community. And I think this is really cool how they put it all together.
0: The legend, Tornado Tom Bonin. I need to race something. So what are you racing now? Uh, now this year I'm actually
3: racing the Porsche Carrera Cup in Europe. So i um, going from prototype cars to a GT car. So different different type of racing, but uh, sprint racing, 30 minute races, stuff that I like, like getting a decent approach, hyper focus, leave it all on the table in 30 minutes and go home with a trophy.
0: Actually, this isn't the first time we met. Do you remember where we met?
1: I, I'm thinking, but I can't remember.
0: I think it was 2012 or 11, 12, Tour of California, we were at a party at the finish. You probably don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Steve Blick brought you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like at the Ritz or something like that. I I hardly remember remember that, but that's like... We finished
3: finished, uh, Tour of California at at lunchtime or something. And then uh, the Lakers were playing, and we went to get some beers outside, and we stole a beer bike, and (laughs) then all got arrested by the cops. (laughs) And then Blick brought me to the party there, and... That's where the light went out.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's I had to go shoot like a commercial the next day. And I woke up in my bed and I, I just, I remember all we were drinking, I just kept drinking and I had like a bunch of wine and like a bunch of sushi and I woke yeah. up and my bed was just red wine and rice. You can't have a race finish at noon. You know it's gonna go bad. Yeah. <laughs> my good friend, the Gandalf of gravel, Yuri Oswald, on his way back from knee injury.
3: Yeah, I, I feel like I'm just moving forward now. There's no steps back at this point, which is great. You know, the fact that I can like move again, like as of two weeks ago, has tremendously helped my mental space. Uh, and it just feels good, you know, it, it stimulates uh, those neurochemicals, like I was saying earlier, and it's really helped me out. So, um, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm just excited to be here and see everybody and, and connect with folks and talk about some future projects and set some big goals. You know, I plan on being at Unbound. I don't know what distance I'll be able to do. I doubt it's the 200 this year, but I'll be excited if it's the 100. You know, that's a huge win. Um, I just don't know what my body's going to give me yet. And so that's part of the process, uh, trying to be patient with it and smart. Um, and not, you know, rush it too quickly because it's a pretty big injury to do what I did, I guess.
0: So, we heard from the Gandalf of Gravel, the legend, the ex-pro, the commentator. Now, up next, I could call him a chef, but he is so much more than that.
8: Who am I? That's so hard. My name is Alan Lim. I am a sports scientist, I think, sometimes. I'm also a cook sometimes. I'm also the founder of Scratch Labs. When I first came into professional cycling, I didn't really know how to cook, but I saw that there was this missing gap between how the athletes were being nurtured or cared for and all of the science. Like, I could talk to the guys about you know gluconeogenesis and about glycogen resynthesis and about what they needed to eat and how many grams of carbohydrate they needed, but if they didn't have delicious food that could get them there, it didn't really matter. And it wasn't just about... RoboCop fuel and dumping yeah. salt, water, carbs, fat, protein into riders. It was about creating joy and connection. And I started realizing that if I took some time to actually make food from make food from scratch for these athletes, that there wasn't just the science that we were accomplishing, but there was this connection that we were flavor
0: and yeah. yeah People everything. want to eat the food. I mean, everyone That's right. Food and and, and maybe more tonight. than
8: anything, I realized that. My job wasn't to be a sports scientist, but it was to be a caregiver. Yeah. And by caring, there was some advantage that was hard to explain or define. Um, I think that maybe the best way to explain it is that there was a nocebo effect.
0: Yeah.
8: A placebo is when you think you get something that helps you, right? A nocebo is when you... You see someone else get something that you think is helping them, and so there was this uh, thing happening. So people like, thought they weren't in,
0: teams weren't eating pasta, they're eating rice, and well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we
8: were just having more fun, yeah, and we were ha- having these beautiful meals, yeah. and it just smelled better, it looked better, yeah, it tasted better, yeah. And so other teams were like, Oh my gosh, why can't they eat like them, yeah, and. You know, you could also call that relative deprivation. You could call that, like, all my needs are met, but relative to others, I perceive that there is some deficit. And that creates these, you know, symptoms, psychosomatic, that actually end up impairing performance. Yeah. And so it wasn't just about caring for riders. It was also about, hey, look, if we lean into this, if we give them the nurturing, instead of treating them like machines, that... There would be not just happiness on the part of the riders, but um, a sense compared to our competition that we had something bigger than have.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm always curious about this because there's, there's a level of like sports science, what people know, what they should be doing, or I guess what the scientists know is like optimal. There's like another level of what athletes are willing to do. What percentage of, I guess, I don't know what you want to call it, sports science humanization? do you feel like, do you find across the board?
8: Well, Does that make sense? Like yeah, there's like people yeah. like, here's
0: what the science says, but like we know that people aren't going to do a hundred percent. They're going to like, there's a range. Yeah. What's well, like the gap? And it even comes down to like nutrition. Like yeah. people, you know what's optimal, but people don't want
8: to eat plain I, I rice. And I, I think if gaps happen, the gaps don't matter because this whole world of marginal gains is looking at the whole system in the wrong way, right? Like the idea of marginal gains is that if you can get incremental gain in everything, they can accumulate into significant gains, right? But the nature of it is that this is a chain, right? And this is a cascade where everything is linked to another thing. And whenever you have these cascading systems, it's not trying to improve every link that improves the whole system it's improving the bottleneck yeah the single bottleneck so when you look at like say industrial supply chains or you look at manufacturing processes you're not you're always trying to focus on the slowest moving part yeah you're doing the opposite instead of looking for marginal gains you're constantly looking for the bottleneck because once you open up the that one bottleneck.
0: Everything else flows.
8: Everything else flows. And then you can look for the next bottleneck and then look for the next bottleneck. Huh. And yeah. in my estimation, a lot of marginal gain hunting is a waste of time if you're not opening up bottlenecks. And the biggest thing that I didn't find being asked in the marginal gain world was is this athlete mentally healthy, physically healthy? Yeah. Are they mentally well, are they physically well? Yeah. Right? And if you focus on just even the mental component of it, there's gonna be a performance gain. In the sports science ecosystem that I grew up in, it was, oh, talk to a sports psychologist. Yeah, They'll make you happy. And that's bullshit because it's your connection to others. It's the whole entire team. It's the culture of the team. Yeah. It's all of those things that make you happy or unhappy. Okay.
0: Good morning, everyone. We are back at Laguna Seca, and we just parked the car. We have not had breakfast yet, but you have had breakfast. We're here with Kathy Pruitt getting ready for the mountain bike race.
9: Yeah, the big, long mountain bike race, but I happened to bump into a friend here, Ian, and I was talking about my breakfast and saying hi. We thought we might chat.
0: But you're a world champion, former world champion mountain biker, so you are you ready for this?
9: You know, I'm always ready. I just don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to try and um, have low expectations today, and just see how I feel, and try to have fun.
0: But you're also part of the Grand Prix, and this is the first the first event. Um, I mean, how do you feel about the whole the whole thing? Just being able to like do this series of six races with like the best athletes in North America?
9: It's a good question. I think none of us really know what to expect because there's never been a series like this, especially combining the gravel and the mountain bike in one big series year long. I'm excited to see the exposure they can help some of the athletes with because that's something new, the live coverage and the cameras on course. Um, so I think we're all excited and we don't know what to expect.
0: <laughs> and I haven't had breakfast yet. What did you have for <laughs> breakfast? I don't
9: know if I should tell you guys because there was no oh, breakfast. A secret. Oh. Well, no, I had I had a banana loaf and then I just ate some oatmeal with almonds and blueberries. But I really wanted waffles.
2: My name is Emily Newsom and I'm a writer for EF Education Tipco SVB.
0: And you are now on a women's world tour team, and yet you're here for a mountain bike race. Does that feel a little ironic?
2: Yes, it's definitely been an adjustment for me mentally. But at the same time, I really love playing in the dirt. So I'm excited for it, and I have good support. It's a good scene. So yeah.
0: And how do you feel, you know, having raced through, you know, I guess quite a few years you've been racing now, and there's been a huge push for like equality in women's racing. And all of a sudden, there's this new series, and it's like, it's instantly there's equal opportunity. There's 30 women, 30 men, equal prize money. Do you feel like with the growth of these kind of new styles of races, you know, this mixed surface series, you know, both mountain and gravel, do you feel like things are progressing for women's sport?
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, um, it's very exciting that it was never a question of whether it was going to be equal prize money or, you know, equal participants, it just was right from the very start. And I think that's a great precedent that they had. It's not like we had to build the women's field or to build the women's prize money to reach what the men's was. It just started that way. Yeah.
0: And what about the rest of the season? you going to head back over to Europe for some road stuff? Or you focused mostly on the mountain bike stuff and gravel stuff?
2: Yeah, I'll head back. Um, I'm not entirely sure when. Probably July. Um, there's quite a bit of racing going on there then, so I'll miss one of the series races, but we're, yeah, it's kind of up in the air. As you know, road racing, things can change so quickly. Somebody's hurt. Somebody's sick. So it depends when the team will need me.
0: And what about the women's tour coming back this year? First time in 30 years that there's been a women's tour. How do you, how do you perceive this? How do you feel about this? Is it something that inspires you? Is it something you want to do? Or is it, I mean, are you on a different path with the, you know, the lifetime series?
2: Uh, I think it's incredible that it's coming and um, such an amazing event for us. And we're all so excited. For me personally, I always have the mindset that if I'm ready and the team wants me to go, then, yeah, I'm excited and I'll do it. And if they decide, hey, she's not quite who we're looking for on this roster, that's okay too. Um, but, yeah, if I was to do it, it's super exciting and I love the team environment and working for somebody or being worked for however it works out so that would be very exciting for me
0: and has it been inspiring i mean you have a couple kids at home to see just the growth of you know the sport in general but especially the women's sport with you know there's a perry rebaix now the the women's flanders was awesome Mm -hmm. now the women's tour do you feel like hey i would this is something i would push my kids to get into
2: yeah, for sure. So I actually only have one, yeah. and she's seven. And um, even just being here, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wish she was here so she could see, like, how cool this is. Because she likes cycling, but it's more like, you know, she just rides her bike. Yeah. But for her to be in this environment and see all these kids having fun on their bike, um, I think would definitely give her some inspiration to keep pursuing it.
0: And now compared to when you first started cycling, you know, having a daughter, would have you encourage your daughter to get into cycling 10 years ago, just with the the limited opportunities that were available for women to race at a professional level compared to now?
2: Yeah. Well, honestly, I didn't know you could be a professional cyclist 10 years ago because I was completely immersed in music at that point. Um, When I first started this, yeah, I probably wouldn't have chosen it for my daughter because it was very difficult one, just as a sport, but also to actually make a living at it. Now though, yeah, I, I do think about that. I'm like, hey, she could get into this, you know, in her early 20s and actually have a viable career in it. So yeah, it's exciting for me that that's an option for her now.
3: Uh, my mom's working
0: for uh, J Bikes. This is your younger brother here. Yeah. And what's your name?
7: Um, I'm, I'm Adrian and I love mountain biking.
0: And you do not have an e-bike. Why did you choose to not take a demo?
7: Oh, I did, but I didn't want to because you don't really want to, like, you you don't want to be lazy.
0: Don't want to be lazy? So you think your brother's lazy?
7: He is. He takes, like, 30 minutes to get up for school, and (laughs) he wants an e-bike. Well, I want an e-bike because it's fast getting uphill.
0: But you're learning the skills on your own bike.
7: Yeah, and I like to hit fat whips at my house.
0: And now, last But certainly not least, the winner of the first round of the women's race at the Lifetime Grand Prix, Mariah Wilson, someone I spoke to the last time Seattle happened back in October of 2021. Mariah has been taking the mixed surface scene by storm. She just picked up racing a few years ago and quickly she has become one of the most dominant, consistent, and most fun people to talk to at these gravel events, so let's hear from my last guest while I was out at the Sea Otter Classic, fellow Vermonter, now California transplant, Mariah Wilson. Mariah, we spoke, well, I guess I was gonna say a year ago. It was not a year ago. Yeah. There's your, there's your this one year are um, at Sea Otter, yeah. and you were clearly coming up in the world of mixed surface racing, but now you're one for one.
10: One for one, I guess so, yeah. I
0: mean, how does that feel? I mean, like, you just did, spoke to 100 people for interviews.
10: <laughs> yeah, that was the most interviews that I've done in, like, a series of 15 minutes ever, yeah. for sure, by, like, a lot.
0: Well, <laughs> so. and, like, what does this opportunity open for you? Because, you know, this this whole concept is new. Oh, you know, no,
10: you tell me after winning on Unbound. <laughs>
0: <laughs> next, next year, you'll be holding a mic talking to people. <laughs>
10: <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't
0: really know yet. Oh. <laughs> I mean, but just also from the perspective of like women's sports. Like you're all of a sudden, you know, you work at specialized, you have a full time job, but you're clearly now crushing it doing this. Is this like I mean, do you feel fortunate that this has come come about like as you come up in the sport? Yeah,
10: for sure. I mean I think that I'm still relatively unknown a little bit. Like I've had some big results but it hasn't hasn't been enough and it's been like, I don't know, a relatively short period of time since I've started racing that like uh I don't know, sometimes that like, like Mid-South, the follow cars definitely did not know who I was. Like, they had no idea. Um, And I feel like that happens a lot at races sometimes where they'll call out everyone else in my group, but they won't call out me because they don't know who I am. Um, So I see that maybe changing a little bit more in the future. Like I'll be a little bit more recognizable, but like, I mean, I don't really think that much about that because I honestly don't care.
0: Well, that's kind of the thing I've noticed about (laughs) you is like you've approached this with a different background than a lot of people and you're just like, stoked to be out here doing this yeah i
10: just love to ride my bike and to race my bike i mean i love to race but mostly i love to ride and racing is just part of it so um i love to challenge myself and kind of regardless of the result i want to make sure that i'm just doing my best and um yeah leaving it all out there so and
0: you also have stayed very humble we had dinner last night and alan was cooking but you were like top sous chef and you started doing dishes
10: <laughs> well i love to cook so you don't have to twist my arm to get me to do any of
0: that <laughs> well so now leading this series i mean going forward is this add more expectations pressure or is it just continue on with race I mean, by race
10: i guess we'll see <laughs> we will see uh, going into unbound um I think most of the pressure that I've always felt in my life has come from myself, and I think that'll probably still continue. I'll probably feel a little bit more external pressure, but, like, I think for the most part I do a good job of, like, blocking that out. Um, and, yeah, I don't know, we'll see. Well, stay
0: humble, and Alan's got a couple burritos for you. You got a breakfast burrito or a chicken burrito? What are you going with?
10: I didn't already had the breakfast. Oh, <laughs> my decision has been made for me. I kind of yeah. like that. <laughs> So, I'm having a, a what, a chicken? Chicken burrito.
0: Chicken, all right. Well, think, yeah. go hydrate, get off your feet, and rest. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, there we have it, folks. Another episode of Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I hope you all enjoyed this special episode of my Wander Around the Sea Otter Classic. I want to say thank you to all of the guests who appeared on this show and allowed me to put a microphone in their face while I was out in California. There are going to be more episodes like this later in the year, but before then, you can head over to Wahoo's YouTube channel on May 12th for the video version of this podcast. It's going to be called Breakfast with Boz in Real Life. There's going to be some additional audio that you did not hear in this podcast, so be sure to go check that out. I do want to give you a quick rundown of some of the guests who appeared who also participated in the Lifetime Grand Prix. As I mentioned earlier, Mariah Wilson won the first event of the Lifetime Grand Prix. On the men's side, we spoke to Rob Britton, Lachlan Morton, and Alex Howes. Rob finished in eighth place, Lachlan in ninth, and Alex in 11th. So maybe speaking to me prior to the mountain bike race is becoming good luck for some of these athletes, and they'll be more inclined to speak to me in the future. So folks, I hope you enjoyed once again. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll catch you back here on Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo.
7: And I like to
9: hit fat whips at my house.